1: I'm Trisha Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Today's book is Captured Landscape, Architecture and the Enclosed Garden by Kate Baker, published by Routledge in 2018. Greetings, I'm Tricia Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network with a special mini-series in landscape architecture. Today's book is Captured Landscape, Architecture and the Enclosed Garden by Kate Baker, published by Routledge in 2018. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Tricia. Nice to hear you.
1: Nice to meet you, too, from across the pond. Yeah. So let's get started. Uh, Could you tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, sure, sure. Um, I'm uh, I'm a trained architect uh, and um, had my own practice for quite a long time uh, with um, with with another with a partner. And uh, after that, uh, decided that I'd really like to go into academia. So uh, I've been teaching at an architecture school now for. Many years, uh, and I've really, enjoy, I've really, really enjoyed the teaching and being able to put some of the inputs, being able to mix ideas of practice and, and theory together. Uh, so, where did you go to school? Uh, uh, in um, in Kingston, in with Kingston, it is sort of outer London.
1: Oh, interesting. So, uh, what was your uh, motivation for writing this book?
2: Um, well, it's. Uh, It it came out of um, a lot of looking at buildings um, over a long period, and taking students on field trips and all that sort of thing, and um, I was realizing that there was um, I was being drawn to very specific sorts of buildings, and there were always ones that I wanted to go and see and really enjoyed. and um, then the more I looked into them, well it didn't matter whether they were old ones or new ones or contemporary ones, um, they had this particular characteristic which was to do with having um having an internal contained garden. So um the so the garden almost becomes an indoor room. Uh, sorry, an outdoor room. Uh shall I say that bit again? It's okay, it's an outdoor room. Yeah okay um so it's it, it's almost like an an extension of 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 the architecture but outside um so uh I started to think a little bit more about this and how these internal gardens um are were incredibly like rooms in that they have they have they have vertical elements the walls in other words uh and um and they have this horizon, and they have the horizontal element, which is the floor, um, and the flowerbed somehow could be seen as, as, you know, as the carpets or something like that. Um, but you know, there is one big difference, and that's that they don't have a ceiling, but they do have a ceiling because the ceiling somehow is the sky. Uh, and then this can be a, main, a means of transporting you and your imagination um, up and beyond into the into the into the into the sky and the stars. And I just got intrigued about the <laughs> about the, the 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 similarity and the difference, and this sort of ambiguous quality that these spaces had,
1: just like a like a little living building.
0: Yes, sort of, sort of.
1: <laughs> so, how did this transform um, into this book? Uh, what do you uh, what did you discover in your research about uh, these enclosed uh, little rooms, but Living little rooms um,
2: well i uh, I got once I started to truly really, really analyze them um, I realized that they all that there was a lot to them, much more than i 'd really thought you know they were much more than just pretty gardens um, and so I spent a long time trying to work out what it is, and then uh, <clears throat> at the same time spending uh. Trying to work out what was the best way of being able to talk about it, uh, in you know, in structuring the layout and uh, of of, um, of the case studies that I was talking about, and and um, what exactly they are and what they mean in different contexts. Um,
1: you have historical context too. What's the historical context of the enclosed garden that you discovered?
2: Um, it's it's very long and very varied. And perhaps I might come on to that a little bit later because I think i'd I'd like to start talking about um how i um how I worked out the structure of the book and how and how to how to convey um my understanding of these in post gardens sure yes go ahead yeah. okay sure. um, that's fine um so i i have i have a whole range of some of examples um and they're not just from the past but they're also from the uh, from the present but i didn't want it to be um a, a, a scholarly history of them i was quite keen on um making sure that that the ideas are, are, you know could be translated into very contemporary design as as well as historical um the, the historical context um so I was, I've been selective about my historical examples, um, but I also wanted to emphasize the experiential and phenomenological approach, um, to counterbalance, um, the, pure, the purely theoretical, but also talk about the, the, the theoretical, um, and not let, um, and for it not to be a dry academic book. <laughs> um, so. That's wanting to relate abstract ideas to the embodied experience, um, to try and convey what it is, what makes the sense of place in this in this context.
1: So yeah, tell me, I like that. Tell me more about it.
2: Okay, um, well just a little bit more about it is that um, in the the construction of each chapter, um, it uh, is is. Is fairly, is, is fairly standard throughout, um, starting with a personal account of an enclosed garden that I visited. Um, and through this a, a short narrative, I try and capture the reader's imagination um, through evoking the sense of being in that space and approaching it and walking in it and living in it. Uh, um, so there is some sense of the sensual engagement and you know, what it's like, more than just what it looks like in a photograph. And what it's like to be there and, and feel it, feel it, and um, the different textures that you might touch and smell. Uh, and um, so that the, there's a, a picture gets built up of sort of being immersed in the space, um, and then that gets augmented as well with the more standard things like uh, you know photographs and um, plans and sections and diagrams to try and explain actually what's going on in each in each particular, each particular garden I'm looking at.
1: Uh, yes, I noticed that about the book. Um, and it's true, what you're saying is uh, we're talking earlier that you, uh, you don't have a lot of plans and sections, you just kind of have pictures. But I, I like to see the plans uh, and see the layout. It, it's just uh, clearer when everything's kind of like decluttered.
2: Oh, well, I, I get very frustrated when I buy a book um, about a garden or, or architecture, when it comes to that, um, where it all looks very interesting, but without without plans and sections, you can not really understand how how the spaces are, are designed in the first place and how they fit in, or you know, if it's a building, how it fits into the landscape. And you need to have a more diagrammatic analysis to go with all the other stuff, and, and then you know, the combination uh, hopefully gives you a picture of what's, of what's happening.
1: Yeah. Cause I was looking at one here, uh, just, uh, I just so happened to open it on page nine and it was talking about, yeah, exploring the idea uh the limits of space and restricted views and, and how the layout, uh, how it kind of all comes together, uh, for, uh, an internal space and kind of just how to do it. How, do, how do you design a good indoor garden? What did you find?
2: Huh. um, you have to be I mean, that's, that's a difficult question to answer, but I think first of all, you have to be very sensitive to its to its um its location and um I think some of the best ones have been have been where the architect designer or the builder for that matter doesn't necessarily have to be a you know a trained architect to make beautiful spaces um uh, but being sensitive being very sensitive to the place in the first uh, um to start with and um, and then being very true to what the purpose of the building is or the purpose of the space or the outdoor space. And somehow if you can get some reciprocity between outside and inside, then, then those are the things that make really, really good in those
0: gardens. Yeah. You, you, obviously you
1: love this. So it's like, uh, you, you this book is, is really something. So, um,
2: uh yeah, just uh one of one of my favorite buildings, I think, is probably the is the Alhambra in southern Spain. Uh it's uh it's it's a Moorish palace, so it starts off by uh, by um it was built um by the Islam the Islamic regime of the time. Uh and um it's a building that has grown quite a lot, but it is it's the the ordering of the spaces is is very regular, but it's always adapted to suit the the, the, um, the particular type of topography of the land. Uh, and each time you go, you go through through one of the rooms, uh, and maybe through another room. Then you come to an open space, which is another room, although it's a garden, and it might have a fountain in it, uh, and it'll have beautiful tiles probably. And then there'll always be of a of a, a, a view that takes you somewhere else uh and this 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 is a whole sequence a, sequ- a a sequence of spaces uh which which is just truly stunning how
1: does it how does it work how do they um i see your um diagrams here right? can you talk about that a little bit more um about why it works and what's what's there that makes it so special
2: um partly uh, partly the use of materials the, the, the very subtle use of um, uh, of um of, of actually a very a very restricted use of materials i think uh and um the, and, and I think that goes through right from the from the building the building materials themselves um, to the, the trees and the hedges in some cases, and you feel that they they're sort of echoing each other. So sometimes sometimes you, you might get a hedge that has um, that has been carved so carefully that it has archways through it, so you can you can it's a very permeable space, and that might echo. Um, one of the other sides of the space, which will be a, an arcaded walkway, and that walkway uh, might then have a view on the other side and there will be seats there where you can sit down and look at the view or look inwardly um, uh, and it just gives gives you the sort of whole range of possibilities
0: so uh what can
1: you talk about some more um, examples in here um that we were uh Looking at further, what about uh, like the Christian world and the adaptation of the Eden Garden of Eden? You were talking about that as well
2: uh yes perhaps i well but i do I do use one chapter specifically to talk about that uh and uh to try and unpack what the ideas are behind um behind how a lot of these gardens have developed uh Enclosed gardens originated in ancient Persia, so they're some of the oldest types of um, building and garden form that have ever been designed in the West. Um, and so uh, they developed. Uh, they de- they developed uh, quite specifically in in certain in certain geographical region, regions, which have the same sort of cultural inheritance. <laughs> Uh, and so there's a very strong uh, uh, emphasis on on certain things with the Islamic um, with the Islamic cultures. And then if we go to somewhere like ancient Rome, we'll see exactly the same sort of garden, same type. Um, and I call it a, ta- a you know a, a ta- I'm calling these typologies of space. Um, uh, but there are certain features that are incredibly different. Even though they, they still work in terms of what the, their spatial identity is, so if we talk, for example, um, about the Islamic tradition from it, minute, uh, uh, the enclosed garden uh, can never be seen from the road, from the public, the public, the public realm. It's completely hidden. Um, it's the woman's realm, and it's essentially private. When we then have a look at what was happening in uh, the Roman with the Romans, um they had uh, their, their towns were constructed in a very in a very different way, um usually using a, a you know, overlaying the grid and having very formal streets uh which would then uh, have houses coming straight up up you know up to the uh, up to the roadway um with an entrance uh, with an entrance way which would um, give you a view right the way through um on w- with an axis going all the way through to their peristyle garden, which was deep inside their inside their, their building plot, uh, because they were quite happy for to be seen. Um, you know, they liked the theatricality uh, <coughs> of having this beautiful garden that they had in the middle of their houses and and so um they were on display to the public, and that was fine. that was you know what they wanted. So so it so, so they're very different forms, but it's still the same, it's still the same idea behind them about having these central open spaces. Uh, and if I was to just unpick another side of if I go back now to um to Islam, um it's often called the uh Jahar Bagh, um the 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 um the, the you know the type of garden that you, you see in um, Islamic cultures, uh, and, and it has a very, a, a very specific form. It will have a central fountain usually. Um, so, the, the fountain itself will be reaching up to God, uh, and then the water, and then as the water falls, it falls into um, into a pool just surrounding it, and that pool will have four streams running off it, um, very exactly at right angles. Uh, and um, producing a four-square geometry. And these four streams represent the four rivers that divided the ancient world into the four continents. And this is a pattern that we see time and time again. So if we go back to the Alhambra a minute, you will find that this pattern uh, is really clear in all the gardens that you pass on your journey through the building. Uh, but everyone is different and unique. Uh, and uh, just perhaps to talk a little bit more about the um the Christian world, the hortus conclusus uh, is uh, what, it's, what it's called in the in um, in the Christian world uh, and again it meets the meeting it's the meeting point between the corporeal and heavenly existence. Um, and, does, and and you'll find that inside a cloister, for example, in a monastery or in a um, you know beside a church beside, beside a cathedral or an abbey, uh, that it'll still have the central fountain and still have the four rivers of um, uh, of the world dividing the four different bits. And then the gardens, the gardens would be much calmer than they would in in um, with with the Islamic ones. Uh, and may, you know, might have herbs in them or something, but they weren't—they weren't—they weren't displaying earthly paradise in the way that uh, a lot of the Islamic the Islamic ones do. So there are differences and similarities all all through. Oh,
1: that's okay. Uh, you know, one thing I I'm looking through uh, that kind of just intrigues me a little bit, uh, kind of bringing it past to forward is uh, if I'm saying it right, Bobardi. In her treetop house in Brazil, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? That sounds very interesting.
2: Um, well, she she's a remarkable woman, and should have been much better known in her day. Um, she's she's uh, she's she was somebody who really really looked at her, at, at um, the landscape she was building in very very carefully uh and um clearly liked the idea of having an enclosed garden uh uh and um but it but it was it was a, it was a challenge because that where she with the, this, the i'm talking about the house that she built for herself uh the the plot of land was on, on a massive slope uh and so to uh to Provide a provide a house that was you know both had a sense of enclosure but also respected the the, the aspect of the land. Uh, she decided to um, uh, have 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 her house as still having the plan of an enclosed garden, um, but lifting it up, lifting it up off the ground, and having one side fitting into the into the into the hillside, um, but then the other, um, but then resting the rest of the house just on very thin columns this uh, and this allowed the, uh, the landscape and nature to just uh, just grow all the way through it so she so the house now is completely surrounded by nature and you there's also nature growing through the middle of it uh, and it uh, it's a building that i haven't been able to visit but it's it's certainly very high on my list because it looks um it, it's completely happy price to your happy
1: price price line um so uh what i was thinking is uh, what you said that is uh can we talk a little bit about some of your examples here about um enclosed gardens uh in modern times and how that uh gives us a sense of enclosed space and and what what does enclosed space do for us why why is that important <sighs>
0: um I think that uh if you're uh it, it provides it provides
2: shelter, safety, security, uh, and uh and so that's at a of an emotional level. Uh, but it also means that you can control that particular bit of in your environment. Uh and that I suppose that also sort of leads me on to various things, various um other aspects of the garden, and be, because you have because you have sides and walls that in, uh, that um, enclose the space, uh, then it probably means that the climate inside is um, uh, is more sheltered. will have a steadier temperature, uh, and um, you've got the capability of growing different things to just uh, you know the land on the outside of a on uh, um, you know surrounding a building. Uh, so you know, so domestically it's great because you can probably find little areas where you can, if you're living in England anyway, areas where you can sit outside for much longer, um, because the you know the, the the biting wind will have been uh, stopped by the by the outside walls. Uh, if you're wanting to have an enclosed garden specifically for growing things like the like the old kitchen gardens, which are now being revived at the moment. A lot from old country houses in England, for example, um, they they were very much organised so that uh, you get you get the south facing slopes having greenhouses in them uh, and um, trees on walls so that the wall will um, itself radiate heat to keep the fruit trees going and be able to make be able to grow crops that perhaps you know would normally grow in a hotter climate. Uh, so, so they um so they they, they work at a, at a practical level, i suppose, as well as the, uh, as well as um you know when you think of providing shelter, that what I mean by shelter is that it, it it it's it's good for us, but it's also good for the plants
0: that's interesting, so um yeah, kind of on that note, you know, kind of
1: you know, like our cities, like we're talking about in your book here, it's about urban, you know. Uh, I was thinking about this just the other day, actually, our our desire to concrete over the land, but we have a counter-desire to reinsert the natural world because cities have to breathe. And uh, we say the gardens pop up uh, no matter what. Uh, So what do you think about uh, how this applies to um, our urban environments?
2: Well, I think people are beginning to realize that it's incredibly important to insert green into our cities. Uh, uh uh and and um I certainly when i was when i was doing my research i was i was quite heartened by the fact that people were being really inventive uh with um with trying to bring nature back into into the city uh uh and um that 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 seemed to be happening at all sorts of levels it uh, if, uh i, I I've always been very interested in a in a um, a building complex in Paris, which is the new Bibliothèque Nationale, uh, and um, that that is it's a very large building that that sits just behind the Seine, uh, and that's in the, that's in the, that's a sort of o uh, o sort of shaped, I suppose. So it's, good, so it's got, a, it's, got you know, it's got it's got a very large central open space. And they very specifically wanted to put um, reintroduce the forest, the idea of the forest, into into the middle of the building. So they imported quite substantial trees and planted them in the center in the center of the, the um, of that space, and have grown up uh, and have have now grown up uh, grown up in an area which is. Um, uh, been colonized by a whole range of um, flora and fauna uh, and and has been and is now very successful although it's had a, a huge amount of teething trouble but the fact that they that they won and it was successful i think they uh, said it's it's really good so so you, so there are projects like that happening and the, there are also projects um where um People are beginning to realise that gardens in cities are really rare, and I was—I've been quite shocked at uh, quite a few stories I've heard from people who have said, "Well, oh yes, we—you um, know—if we, there's you know, this, this designer um, developers saying that if they do put a garden in their in their in their buildings on top of their buildings, um, then they get tax breaks. So that was another sort of encouraging sign that things are changing. You know, that the, um, Cities you know have got the potential for getting greener anyway uh, and uh, at the, uh, the sort of other end of the scale as well um, where the, um, where where there's less money involved and and um, overcrowding has been you know much more extreme um, there are areas for example in New York where communities have, um, community groups have got together uh, and found derelict plots which had not been which had not been um, uh, developed, uh, uh, and completely converting them into little havens, little wonderful havens of greenery, and much used, much used. Now uh, people have parties in them. People just go kind of sit there in the afternoon. Um, somebody one, one of the ones that I was particularly fond of um, was called Petit Versailles. Uh, And um, they had they had art performances in there, and uh, was just just a wonderful place to go and sit in for the afternoon.
1: How does uh, cities uh, how are they uh, incorporating uh, new forms of enclosed garden? Because you're talking about here about rooftop gardens, and uh, of course the famous uh, Paley's Park in New York, um, etc. How is that? how are these typologies that talk about sense of place? How are, we, how are we expanding on this idea in a modern
0: age? One of the problems
2: about the city is that the, the, the space is extremely limited. And one way around this uh, is to, instead of having a little garden on the, on the ground, uh, they've taken it up the wall. And so there are many examples now of what are now called vertical gardens. Um, and it's instead of uh the uh garden being on the floor, uh, it's on the wall, uh, and you uh can still use the ground floor as a as a as a useful space. So there's there've been some very ingenious examples of this. Uh one of them being the David Rubenstein Center in, in New York, um, which has a very busy thoroughfare of people coming through all the time. Uh but uh, uh and then there was a chairs and a little cafe where you can sit down uh and you can uh nestle in against the green wall that uh that is full of most beautiful plants. Uh then there are other examples like uh the one in the new MoMA in San Francisco, which has um, uh, has a really cleverly placed wall, doing exactly the same things, using the ground uh, for sculptures, uh, but the wall, uh, but the wall as an indication of um, uh, somewhere to go when you're deeply inside the building. So it's it, it's um, it acts as a sort of focus to for you to go towards and see and investigate. Um, uh, and and then of course the other thing that people have done as well is not just use the floors but start to use tops of buildings and this is becoming more and more viable uh, there are and again there's a, there's a, it doesn't seem to matter what the building is or uh, what its use has or whether the use has changed uh, if you've got a bit of flat roof you can probably make use of it uh, the Brooklyn Grange in um in New York is is an amazing example of um a commercial farm which produces loads and loads of salad crops. It's got so successful that um uh and people find it very beautiful as well so they uh people have their weddings up there and it's uh and the it, it, it's become more much more than just a farm. It's become a venue and um have concerts there and so that has been hugely successful and other that, that idea has grown throughout lots of other cities um, and uh, it's very common nowadays to keep bees
0: as well uh, and
2: um, uh, uh, birds are beginning to uh, decide that they're, that they're okay places to make their nests uh and um so that there is a sense that if you bring nature into the city uh then uh, or introduce a possibility, then uh more things start to grow and more, you know it, 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 it's, uh, it the, the city becomes a much more viable place, and that as we said right at the beginning, it helps the city breathe uh,
0: yeah,
1: you know uh i didn 't really think about rooftop space as being um like an enclosed garden, but really, it's got an invisible wall because you've got very defined limits. You can't go over the edge.
2: Very defined. Oh yes, definitely yes. And they do have they do have some limits. They usually have a parapet wall that goes up to about five foot or something like that, so you can't actually fall off. So again, it does provide it is it's, it's sufficient to provide a sense of, of it's But
1: but you could see everything. It's um, like. Uh, it's,
0: it's uh oh, yes.
1: oh, yeah. It's a little tower in the sky. It's like uh they can't see you, but you can see everybody around.
0: <laughs> yes. <when> other people <laughs> are on the rooftops. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um and the they, they
1: yeah, they're, they're great um, place. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sometimes it gets a little bit mm-hmm. um neglected uh but very important what about the far east uh you talk about a little bit about a like, case study there uh what how do they do um enclosed gardens and are do they do it differently or or what's their what's their take on it
0: oh well um it depends a
2: bit on which bit of the far east we're talking about um the uh, i confess to not knowing very much about china um uh in detail I know a little bit more about um, the Japanese, the, the, the history of Japanese outdoor spaces. Uh, and um, the Japanese uh, create very, very different ones. They're very spare. Um, and the spaces, historically anyway, are often very, very contemplative, very quiet, very still. Um, And these the ones I'm talking about specifically come out of Zen and Zen culture. Uh, And um, there is a long tradition, which is kind of still kept up now. I've seen some quite modern versions um, of the same idea of of having a space where nothing happens. So it's purely there to contemplate. Uh, And again, it will have an enclosure. Uh, And... uh, What you do is walk around it. You don't go through it. You just walk around it, Uh, and you might sit. and And there, throughout the buildings, you might have very particular uh, ways of being able to have a a specific specific view of it. And each element, although it's very simple, it might only be rocks and sand, uh, or it might have a little bit of moss or something. But they would all be all these elements, and uh, or or very few. Carefully clipped trees. So, in a way, you know, not very natural at all, um, but carefully composed to make it an art, uh, 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 to become an artifice, um, which is an artifice of, that represents the landscape around. And that's a very take well, It's kind to of us. interesting,
1: though, that, you know, all these different cultures, of course, humans, don't we just now, so connected like we are, like today, over the internet, but um, how each of these cultures uh still developed uh, some kind of enclosed garden it seems to be a human human need
0: oh, yes. oh I, well it
2: certainly seems to me that there's a human need uh because they, I, I they have you know i do i have met them pretty globally now when i've been doing my research uh, which is which is uh, uh but it just doesn't get talked about very much, and I suppose that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book because they seem uh such an an, an you know an important ingredient uh of uh the way we want to we we want to inhabit our 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 spaces you know our, our um the, you know the buildings and you know the way we use our outdoors and perhaps yeah, care it's for it a bit kind more. of
1: human desire for our for our landscape' I was just thinking about that. It's like you know, then these cultures, of course, obviously had a lot of communication of ideas, but they were all developing the same kind of things or concepts in their own space that adapted to their own environment
0: in a way that made sense for them. Uh, yes, I think you're. I think you're right, uh,
2: and and we're the richer for it in a way because. Uh, we can, we can, I can, you know, I can completely appreciate it as a, uh, a Japanese Zen garden and, you know, to a degree, understand what it is and what it represents. Uh, and I suppose what I, I really like is, is the fact that uh, it's not just putting a few flowers in, you know, that it's it's come out of a, a cultural understanding of uh, the space, you know, outside our, our houses, Um represent something that's really
1: important to us i wonder uh well, you just said that well i wonder what it is that's important maybe i think it's a lot of things maybe um about like safety and security a little bit of um i hate to say it maybe even a little bit of ego a little showing off too uh, <laughs> a little a little bit of... uh um Go well ahead. i was just
0: thinking about you
2: know the alhambra is is you know it's a it's a three ring circus act it's um it's really it's it's um it's got everything it's got everything you know from amazing fountains to beautiful tiles and um you know exotic plants uh, and um you know all all the tricks in the book so it, you, you could say that's all a bit over the top but it isn't it's it's wonderful and uh i think it just if we keep on with that example, it, again, it's you know the small scale is representing the big scale, and I think you can have a lot of fun with that if you're a designer, thinking about that, and then you know deciding what it you know what is it what is it that we want to say, what is so wonderful you know, with, it, it, you know it's to do with the thing well a wonderful landscape, um, and how can we sort of bring that in to be uh, you know to be close to us because we all seem to have, we do seem to be a bit hardwired into you know wanting wanting to be close to the landscape, and so these enclosures you know if you're especially if you're not particularly near it, near it yourself can um can help um you know close that gap between you know wherever your situation is and you know the beauty of the outdoors
1: yeah so what uh so today what's uh what's this legacy of enclosed gardens where do you see this uh going in the future um The legacy. How do we? How are we keeping? I guess rooftops is one way we're reinventing it. Um, what are some other ways that we're we're reinventing the uh, enclosed space?
2: Mm, mm. Oh, um. Well, I think probably um, artificially. I'm just thinking about some of the new gardens in London, uh, where some of the big the new bigger high-rise buildings anyway, have gardens at the top of them. And they will be enclosed, though, or semi-enclosed. Gardens that, have, um, that will have some sort of uh, glazed, you know, a lot of glazed openings. And I suppose this means that they have the advantage of being able to have a very, very controlled environment. And uh, you can grow things and they look, Beautiful all through the year, and then you can open up uh, spaces all through the year as well. So, if you don't want to go and have a park on a cold winter's day, uh, uh, you pop up in your lunch hour to the top of a uh, um, one of these one of these buildings and eat your sandwiches um, in something that might have been designed as a uh, as a tropical garden, and so you have the um, you have the luxury, I suppose, of using. Uh, a, a controlled indoor space.
1: Well, I always like to ask all my guests their favorite something. So it doesn't have to be in a book. Is there a favorite enclosed
0: space uh of yours? Uh, oh yeah, I wish I had something up my sleeve. <laughs> Just another little pause. Uh, I'm trying to think what would be good to. do. Oh, I well, um, yeah, I will do. Um.
2: Uh it's my very favourite enclosed space uh is actually a, a non garden. There's hardly anything in it at all. Uh and it's a cloister uh in uh, um an old monastery, a very old monastery, a thirteenth twelfth century monastery in the south of France called Le Toronnais. Uh and it was built uh, as a cistercian monastery with very strict rules Uh, and um, the the, uh, stonemasons who built it somehow had the most extraordinary sense of understanding um, a very very intimate space Uh, and it's on slight slope uh, and the the cloister has very very thick walls so thick that you can actually sit inside the wall in in one of the openings you could you could sit inside it they're so big uh, and uh because it's very hot as well the cloister uh is actually quite cool so it's a very very it it it's a, it keeps the out these um uh these walkways much cooler than they would be if they were just outside uh, you know they're deep in it and, and quite dark as well, um but then there's a huge contrast then between the light and the dark uh, and the way the um, the uh, rhythm of the clo- of the archways of the cloister work, they produce um a very lovely pattern as the sun comes through and um, uh, and uh, and the sunlight falls through onto onto the um onto the cloister walkway and of course that and it, um, it's very because it's so small it seems to work almost like a a, um, uh, a, a clock you know like a, a sundial because kind of thing as the sun walks around you know, you you spend a long time there and you know, you're always conscious of what time of day it is because of the way the sun falls uh, through the wall and onto the floor and um you step set through it so it uh, it's just very very beautifully balanced space
1: Oh, that sounds fascinating. I would like to visit it someday.
0: Oh, yes, you must. It's a must. Uh,
1: well, uh, Kate, thank you so much for being here. I know we've taken up a lot of your time, and, and I really appreciate you, you uh, connecting with me from, from across the pond again. Um, can you tell our audience, uh, what are you working on now?
2: <laughs> well, um, I'm not writing at the moment, but um, what I um what i'm trying to do at the moment is to um think about um and develop some of these ideas but through painting rather than through writing and i've been finding that uh really really interesting because uh you know the words the words and um are just words somehow uh and they, you know and, and <coughs> They express, you know, they express verbally what I'm trying to say, but trying to do something through a different medium means I have to uh, think very, very differently about how to convey um, you know, how I feel about some of these places. So I'm, um, I- I'm doing this very slowly uh, and I'm doing lots of experimenting, which is a huge amount of fun.
1: Oh, that sounds lovely. I'd, lo- I'd love to see some of your paintings. Maybe that's a, a painting book. <laughs> I'll have to do a few more first,
2: I think. Uh, and I've been—it's uh, because I've been—I've been sort of mapping spaces and thinking about city spaces and how uh, uh, how you, how you use a plan to convey something, but then at the same time you also need to have things that you see that you know that you see in the street rather than just looking down on something. You know, you're, you're equally well looking across at things. So I'm trying to mix up um, the, the two different ways of seeing and understanding. Uh, visually on, on the, onto onto a canvas uh, and um what happens if you superimpose a grid and uh you know, the, the, the differences that um, that that makes when you're walking around somewhere so it's uh there are ideas that are um, i'm having to struggle i'm struggling with and um when it works you know' it's, it's very very satisfying uh, to, to try and get across these these two ideas that you know that sort of run parallel, that that make a whole um, uh, way of you know how one perceives the city and city spaces. Well,
0: yeah, that's, that's what
1: I really that's what I really appreciate about your book is that it's not just uh, pictures of the space, but uh, I just saw our audiences were a, a, a talking medium here, uh, a sound medium, but um, yeah, that they should investigate this book because it's got these great diagrams and really uh, investigates uh, a little deeper uh, into each of these projects. And now it sounds like, yeah, expanding onto feeling of painting in space, that sounds like a, a great extension.
2: Oh yeah. Well, the, the, the it, oh, well, the, the nice thing about it is that it's um, you know the more you, the, the more you work at it, the more you see the possibilities are. And um, so I'm, I'm very encouraged by doing this.
1: Um, Well, Kate, thank you so much again for being here today. And I'll let everybody know that this is Captured Landscape, Architecture and the Enclosed Garden by Kate Baker, published by Routledge in 2018. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Again, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, The book is Captured Landscape, Architecture and the Enclosed Garden." by Kate Baker, published by Routledge in 2018. And I'm Trisha Keffer from sunny, Keargo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you so much.